Who is here at the review panel for their first time? Oh, wonderful. It's fantastic. Very welcome, and it's nice to see some new faces. This is indeed a little bit of a club, but it's a club that's open to everybody. So the review panel is a, is a forum where mm. the panelists, uh, it's always me, I'm afraid, but three distinguished guests each time, join me uh, in a live review of a selected number of current exhibitions around New York, and we follow a simple format. The audience knows about the shows in advance, which enables many of them to go and see the shows. And uh, we nonetheless do a little bit of a, uh, a video to remind ourselves of what we're talking about, get the images in mind. We, on the panel, discuss the first couple of exhibitions. We open it up to open the conversation up to the floor, as the old-fashioned expression, to you guys. Um, and then we repeat the exercise with our last two exhibitions. Simplicity personified. Um, well, my great pleasure now is to introduce uh, this evening's guests. Um, on the far right here, my left, Siri Hustvet, known to the world, of course, as a best-selling novelist. Um, she, her, most, um, her many novels include, most recently, uh, The Blazing World, which is a novel very much... Um, about the set in the art world and uh, illuminating on the the vagaries of uh, creativity and taste and authorship and all those kinds of issues that vex us who uh, make our life in the art world. Lily Way is a legendary curator and art critic um, whose uh, career sees no let up in busyness and um, when I tried to grill her on what's going on <laughs> it became clear that too much was going on for her to think what was going on but we know her writings from um, Art in America and Art News and there are countless exhibitions that we've seen over the years that she has curated and Jason Stoper is an artist and a critic he uh, uh, writes um, uh, extensively, and he he is um, he is the uh, he uh, is is well regarded as a catalog essayist. Um, what was that catalog that I read? Andrea Belag was it? Yes, beautiful little essay on Andrea Belag, uh, who had a recent exhibition at Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects, for instance. Um, he's uh, sometime uh, some years ago, he was the uh, art, the, the editor of New York Arts magazine, and, and since then, writings in America. Art in America, Rail and, yeah. the Brooklyn Rail, and the usual suspects, but um, uh, a very significant voice in the current discourse. So uh, he is, uh, as, as, a, as an artist, he um, exhibited uh, most recently in Copenhagen. Um, many of us have enjoyed his work at the Peter Jonas Gallery on the Lower East Side. And as an instructor, he teaches at SVA, um, the New Hampshire School of Art, and my own uh, sometime employer, uh, Pratt Institute here in Brooklyn. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. <laughs> Great. And the beauty panelists of these swivel chairs is that we can oh, turn yes. around and, like and see the movie. <laughs> yeah. So let's have the first movie, oh, yeah. please. Okay. The first show we're discussing this evening took place at 56 Henry, an unusual gallery on the Lower East Side, in that the main exhibition space is actually entirely viewable from the street. The gallery opens its doors in the second half of the week, but a show is theoretically on view 24-7, except not with Kate Shepherd, 
who so thoroughly emulated the look and feel of a building site that her windows were uninvitingly whitewashed. She has covered the front gallery space with plywood, painted in building department regulation green and blue, with cutouts to reveal utility boxes and code-required peepholes. While building craft and architectonics are very familiar in Shepard's trademark paintings, such as this one from a few years ago, shown for purposes of comparison, her aesthetic is the very opposite of scruffy or transitional. As the gallery press release explains, she uses construction methods intended to direct movement or block pedestrian entry to assemble a makeshift environment of saturated colour. A few quote-unquote paintings in plywood could be seen for a while in the back gallery, but unhelpfully, for reviewing purposes, this display was replaced some way through the run of the exhibition. Like Shepard, Peter Doig has also been discussed at a past edition of the review panel. The show at Michael Werner on the Upper East Side through November 19th was originally intended as a works on paper show but came to include two large paintings and several smaller studies and portraits as well. Much of the imagery here reflects the artist's peripatetic upbringing. Born in Edinburgh, raised in Canada and Trinidad, educated in London, residing in Trinidad and New York. Notions of North and South permeate the show, with ice hockey players seen in full kit on Caribbean beaches. A recurring motif in this show is a standing male bodybuilder. While clearly evoking Marsden Hartley, this He-Man figure is sourced from the actor Robert Mitchum and is also inspired by a photograph of Francis Picabia relaxing in the south of France. Another repeated figure in the show is Ember, a friend and beloved musician in Trinidad who passed away recently, adding a wistful note to an arguably already elegiac show. Again, however, the source of images is fractured and complex, as Ember's visage also derives from a self-portrait of the Haitian painter Hippolyte, included in the Self-Consciousness show that Doig co-curated with Hilton Owls in Berlin in 2009. So, Peter Doig, we... No, Kate Shepard. Yeah. All right, got my bearings <laughs> right now. I knew something was wrong there. That's good. I got got 15 minutes to think how I should open Peter Doig, but Kate Shepard. So those of us familiar, Lily, those of us familiar with um, Kate's oeuvre, as I intimate in that little video there, know about the, 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 the high gloss, the, yeah. the ethereal finesse, the uh, very uh, highly stylized um, abstraction and sense of the architectonic in her work, the f um, uh, the, the, the very opposite of that kind of um, slippery uh, concern with veneer uh, comes across in this uh, installation. But there are um, enough points to send us in the direction of her core concerns. How, how do you see this in relation to her larger project? Well, um, she's. I think she's always had a, a two-pronged project. One was those ethereal, hard-surface 
shiny mm -hmm. monochromes. And the other was more sculptural, more about objects in the world, which he just collects sometimes and then uses them for something later on. And um, with this particular project, um, I think she said she was interested in in making making the 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 space as a you know in a way as a tribute to all the the, the people who put together construction sites and all the decisions the aesthetic decisions that go into that which may not you know seem as if they occur but they do because they do have to they they have choices all along the way and and she kind of wonders if they are actually you know thinking about it because um, the the hunter green for example or the 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 forest green that is that one door it's apparently by code mm. that all these barrier walls uh, have to be that color um, I'm not sure about the blue, but certainly we see it in a lot of these sites. So, so when you walk in, I really did think for a moment, you know, it was a construction site. It was sort of like Omar Foss, you know, uh, reconstitution of James Cohan. You just kind of walked right by, and I said, no, I don't have the right address, and then, <laughs> then you see it. And then, uh, and while I was there, other people, they walked into the gallery, walked right through, you know, this, this construction to go into the, the little office, because it had those pieces you saw hanging up on the yeah. wall. Yeah. And she said that was, you know, that was just the merch in this case. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the, um, the gallery, that was her site. And um, wow, but both, both Fast and, and Shepard have done an extremely good job of um, upturning the, the um, <clears throat> expected conventions. Uh, I, uh, my own students at one of the institutions where I teach can attest to the fact that I was cursing my iPhone and couldn't believe that um, I had the wrong address. Where on earth was James Cohan Gallery? But with Kate, I had a little uh, forewarning, but it, it makes me think of the um, unfortunate porter at uh, Sotheby's who received uh, um, a Christo, an early Christo work, and very, very carefully unwrapped it, looking for the sculpture <laughs> inside. And um, uh, it was that's that's where that's where the average um, gallery goer perhaps stomped through the uh, front room to get to the art, i.e., the little pieces <laughs> in the back. I just would like to say she does think of this as a painting. Yes, I mean, yeah. so it's it is a painting, and even though she, you know, the the mark making is is pretty. Slapdash. I mean, this is just another form of a painting, which I think is what she's kind of insisting on. Yeah, but these, you know, once you're a painter, you're a painter, aren't you? And you can, you can, um, you can retire and take up fly fishing, but you can still make the case for it as painting. Um, yes. Well, you know, there is something. Of course, once you, it's it's true actually that I got in and I. I was looking and I walked <laughs> to the office <laughs> and they were, they seemed because and they but they said part of it had been taken out. I don't know if they were just interns who didn't know what they were talking about or No, this is the bit this was. is the those paintings um, that I as I sh showed in the video that there, there are a few paintings. I mean um, right picture, tableau, tableau uh, arranged. And they took those away. She must admit, yeah, that, that yes. they took those, those out, but they those, weren't part uh, of it. Those were not officially part of the exhibition. Um, the, the exhibition was the front room, the installation, and um, a little distressingly to old-fashioned characters like myself who like 
to, to review a show that <laughs> looks and start unless it's uh, you know supposed I, to decay. But I thought the construction theme was also because if you go inside, mm-hmm. yeah, it does alter um, your perception of what you're seeing just because it's inside. Mm. So the containment of that really rather small space. Mm is um, something that alters it, that turns it into a painting um, by the constriction, mm-hmm. if you will, with mm-hmm. reference to to the construction. But that yes. said, she really pushes it because she opened up the ceiling on top so it actually, again, replicates a kind of construction a site you know, with kind the floors. Of opening, And yeah. then the, 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 that little porthole, the, yes. the diamond. Yes. Because I think you also have to have that you know, as part of regulation so they can see inside. Right. And then um, what, what else? Oh, so here's the question <laughs> she asked me. Right. I didn't walk through because Kate was sitting right there. Right. <laughs> so right. I knew, right. I knew right. I was where I was supposed to be. But um, she said that, you know, at one point she was thinking, well, um, you know, these kinds of sites are usually graffitied. So should she put graffiti in? And and does that make it too literal? I mean, it's already pretty literal. Right. But then right. do we need the, the 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 chain and the lock? She might have to do um, yeah. the... the yeah kids of survival thing and get some local delinquents to do the graffiti <laughs> for her. Well, you know, yeah. that, that diamond, that portal, yeah. it, it struck me that this project in some part was you know, similar or akin to the, the idea of uh, Duchamp's last piece, you know, where you, mm. you have the oh, yes. donnés where you're kind of Where Sir Sky just did. Right. And, yeah, but uh, Postmaster. And, and it struck me that, that you know, she's, she was kind of operating somewhere between a ready-made, but that was also a construction of a ready-made. Right. Uh, no pun right. intended. Right. Um, so I thought, uh, you know, I thought she was kind of in this in-between space that satisfied the result. You know, I walked in and my immediate reaction was, you know, I'm, this isn't it, you know, and let me go to this room where there's an architecturally sound space where there's art and... Um, and so there was a little bit of kind of the, the fooling of the eye involved there. Uh, mm. but, but I wonder if there was, you know, I didn't read in the press release any of that kind of nod to the ready right. But that was kind of the immediate kind of place that I felt like right. I went to. Right. But I felt she was more pointing toward reality. I mean, like, you know, this kind of um, divide between what was art, what was real. And, and because, as I said, these people that make all these decisions, that they are also, you know, um, making a gesture that is... Uh, Artistic, so that was you know I think she's trying to make that kind of a statement, um, taking what she does, which is so actually you know um, um, refined, and then yes. going the the opposite way, and then questioning you know again what may constitute art, and um, and then it again to point to um, what is. Outside, inside, yes. you know. Yes. Well, right. first of all, sorry. So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in which case, it would have made more sense to have people graffiti on it. I mean, if it's really well, going to engage with reality proper, then go, go all the way. I say. But I say that makes it more provisional and interesting, you know, right. not to do that because you you could. I mean, that would be the first response, and maybe the second is no. You know. It makes it more but, literal and um, yeah. less painterly. But it also, uh, uh, in a way, it's insists that you look at it in a way that we often don't perceive Mm. uh, construction sites on the street, right? We walk, we just walk past them. Mm. And so that, uh, that you're captured 
in a space. Once you understand that this is the art, then you look at it in ways that you, would ne- you wouldn't give that kind of attention mm-hmm. to, uh, to what you walk past every day in New York. And, and there's something that's good about that. I, mean, I think yeah. that's really, that's the major point, I yeah. think. And it's, it's akin to Rachel Whiteread's uh, aesthetic yeah. in a way mm-hmm. of giving us the negative cast of, of ubiquitous things we're overly familiar mm-hmm. with in order to alert us to the inherent poetry and the the inversion of the aesthetic that occurs when when one uh, looks at the overlooked which which in, in it in in itself is also um, if we think of the title of Norman Bryson's That's book, just what I was it's, it's, uh, it's the, the raison d'etre of still life. It's exactly. to slow us down, to, to look more carefully. So then the question becomes, um, panel, does she succeed? Do we, do we look at what's going on here with um, a, f- a sharpened aesthetic focus that... Uh, did, it, did it send us out into the world to look for the, the hidden poetry of... Um, Building sites, <laughs> of which New York is, of course, the, the Metropolitan Museum of building sites, is it not? It's uh, examples of them on every street corner. Well, maybe you will look at this <laughs> building site differently the next time you walk through it. You know, That's right. Another one, yeah. But um, um, so, were there were there were there good moments? I mean, because as with any kind of um, installation or work that uh, any kind of work that has. Um, a, a conceptual um, basis, yes, yes. And, but at the same time is uh, executed, um, is, is a reified work, and is not a purely conceptual piece. Um, the, the, the issue becomes, um, do we have local things to think about beyond the kind of global singular issue that makes it what it is as a conceptual piece? Are we getting good aesthetic moments, Siri? Are we getting? Did you have once you clicked as to what was supposed to, you're supposed to be looking at and how it works? Did it work? Well, listen, I have a weakness for peepholes, and <laughs> I have a weakness for locks. So those were a kind of I I was very interested in how those two things were functioning in, in, inside the piece. So those were good aesthetic moments, and I like the pink. Yeah. Yes. I okay. like the pink. And that wasn't really necessarily out of a construction site. Well, you sometimes they have, that. they have They have sometimes stuff. kind stuff. of stuff, but yeah. it's usually white, not pink. Okay. And there is the cabinet that we didn't see, that very perfectly made cabinet yes. that was really like a typical Kate because the surface was immaculate. She said she it was just done, but I felt she kind of <laughs> sent it. Was, I mean, it's perfect. It was perfect. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was convinced of the materiality. I mean, she. Yeah. there was something about all of that attention to the, the kind of slipshod nature of the way these things are put together that felt very convincing. Yeah. 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 And that is, um, that goes back to the, the graffiti thing because um, we know her to be such a perfectionist in in her approach to uh, the, the exquisite poise that she achieves in in her in her glossy paintings, um, and so it must be kind of painful and difficult for her to hold back in being <laughs> as uh, meticulous in in putting together what's just cladding to to keep the pedestrian out or to protect a site during uh, during construction. Um, so it seems then that the 
The central conceit actually is an interesting spin also on the notion that uh, the authors David Carrier and Joachim Pizarro put out um, in their big book from, big strange book from Feiden called Wild Art, which is trying to make the case for works that don't think of themselves as art world art, um, where uh, the makers are nonetheless tapping the same um, aesthetic sources as an art world fine artist. Uh, examples uh, would be uh, sort of fan art, for instance, or oh, right. Um, right. Uh, uh, sort of um, functional um, kitsch objects that uh, <laughs> have um, um, uh, a sort of hidden or unexpected aesthetic dimension. Um, but is it... Um, there are two things going on. Then there's one is is the idea that, uh, unbeknownst to themselves, the construction workers, when they slap together the cladding, are producing art because of a relationship that it has to art. Um, the the other is that perhaps it's not unbeknownst to themselves, or that they they know they've just got a job of work to do, but the innate craftsmanship comes out, and they they um, take a bit of pleasure in actually um, putting it all together as if they were a constructivist sculptor. Um, I think she thinks that. She thinks the latter. Well, she thinks some of them do. I mean, they're yes. not all, if you go around and look at them, I'm sure they're not equally uh, well made or made in the same way. Yes, so. but they are purely mm. functionalist and so the aesthetics are, are accidental. Are incidental. Incidental. I don't know, you might want well, to align it better. They, Some people like yes, it. Yes, exactly. They may be. I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. To what degree are there possibly unconscious aesthetic um, uh, values that are going on all the time in human life? I mean, I think this is entirely um, possible. And you know that there are now arguments about uh, aesthetics in animal life. Yes, um, the beavers. So, and so the, yeah. but beavers and uh, birds. And so there's a whole movement now. And of course, this is not reflectively self-conscious mm. in the way that human beings are reflectively self-conscious, but it would be a fascinating thing if you could set up an experiment or do a study on exactly that. To what degree are aesthetic values embodied in certain things like a construction site or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ordinary uh, life uh, events, if you will. It would certainly uh, provide some great amusement to some construction workers for an afternoon if, <laughs> if we were to go around with clip pads and ask them um, whether they were aware of Malevich when they carved that diamond into the... Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I guess it would be a question of how, you know, how much aesthetic pleasure do they receive from mm. the act itself, and do they then aestheticize, you know, or, or is it simply an incidental aesthetics that mm. is derived from the object? Um, I, I, perhaps it calls into question these ideas about when we're you know, dealing with a white cube in which we're supposed to now have an aesthetic ex experience in front of artwork, um, <laughs> which you know, may or may not happen, right? I mean, there have right, been studies right. that we've, we've seen where you know, 
you know, and, and anybody in this crowd, no doubt, where you go to a museum and nothing hits you, right? And then the next time you go, you're not even necessarily aware of what you're about to see. And then something out of the corner of your eye catches you and you're, you know, enthralled and you spend the next 15, 20 minutes spending time with this thing. And um, so the, the nature of when we're going to have that experience is, is so varied and the conditions that are set up, you know, are, are not necessarily so fixed. Yeah. Perhaps that's no. kind of what she's pointing to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Is she, to some extent, perhaps also poking fun at herself? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you think or don't think so? I don't. You don't think so? Well, no. I, think, I, I think she's serious, you know. I mean, I think, she, yeah, I, I'm right. It's not that well, she, she can't, but I think that this is part of a but, project that she's pretty serious but about. But it might be a swing away from the high gloss. I mean, to have the, mm. the, this, you know, very rough-hewn, so it's a kind of anti-self movement. It actually has a, 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 I think it has a sheen, I don't know, but she, even though she used very ordinary paint but um i mean she's looked at cracks in the sidewalk and used Mm. that as the basis of her composition and they become very aestheticized but she doesn't actually shift them i mean she doesn't change the patterns sometimes Mm. so you know so so yes maybe maybe yes maybe no but i think she's pretty serious (laughs) (laughs) yeah no we we, we will really Hold the thought, distill it, <laughs> allow it to ferment in your imagination. Because after we've discussed Peter Doig, we'll be opening it up to, uh, to uh, the audience with a mic going around. And um, I will call on you first and be very disappointed if you've forgotten what it is you wanted to say. Yes, fantastic. And I think that is a, a good uh, impetus to move from um, the quotidian grime of a New York building site <laughs> to the lush exoticism of Trinidad and from um, somebody who insists it's painting by other means to somebody whose images and image making is uh, very traditionally in some ways uh, painterly and and Mm -hmm. whose draftsmanship is is also rooted in both classical and modernist traditions. Peter Doig, we're on our second loop now, ready for uh, Peter Doig. And by the way, these, uh, these randomly selected four images per exhibition at the back as a kind of wallpaper. Um, uh, they're not really for us to turn around and say, we now see, da 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 yeah. um, They are just a little aid memoir and uh, have something more pleasant to look at if, if you get bored of looking at us, although with, with, with my guests this evening, I don't think that's likely, but, um, but nonetheless, sometimes it happens that it's um, better to look at the screen. Um, so Peter Doig, um, I'm, I'm a big fan, I must confess, of Peter Doig, and his, his work does deeply fascinate me. Um, but I think one of the reasons I am a fan is precisely because his pleasures are not always, in fact, possibly not often, um, easy. Um, uh, they, they, he's a, a tough, awkward, difficult, interesting artist, and very difficult to pinpoint um, really who he is and where he belongs and what he's doing um, <laughs> and agree. he perhaps projects um, in this kind of north-south divide which is a very old-fashioned romantic classic Thomas Mannion kind of um, uh, shtick in a way um, uh, he projects something of that um, awkwardness himself um, Siri um, drawing perhaps on your deep knowledge as a scholar of psychoanalysis or of psychology, yeah, uh, you could give us some illumination? Well, it's, um, 
it was really interesting to me going to the show and then leaving it. Um, in an essay I wrote, it was actually about Vermeer, but the first sentence was, every painting is always two paintings, the one you see and the one you remember. <laughs> and what I felt is that this show has been hanging around inside me with a kind of uh, uncanny, to use Freud's word, the unheimlich, a kind of unheimlich effect. And that is something that you, you might feel it while you're looking at the paintings, but when it lasts as a kind of wave, then it seems to me something has happened to you, something happened to me. And I, and this was, again, after, I think it was after I walked out, I had this thought that one of the reasons these images were so haunting was because so many of the eyes, not all of them, so many of the eyes of the represented people are occluded in one way or another mm. so that you're not you don't you know how in a lot of traditional painting you have this sort of gaze to gaze mm. um, you're able to look in but he's kind of blinded his images in a number of different ways they're not the same uh we don't well, we just remember and describe this one yes he's well that one painting you remember not the uh, one okay you see. sorry yes so, the, um, so there are, were some of those uh images of the really blackened eyes and then uh that man that was behind me with some kind of a cap and then there are two markers for eyes on the cap it's very haunting. I mean, I felt very much um, that, that, that it had the effect of a kind of distressing dream. Mm. Yes, yes. It does seem no. that the, often when there are multiple figures in a work, that they may not all be present temporarily at the same, yes, uh, right. at the same moment. It yes, may be that some are ghosts and some are uh, yeah. in, in our own um, orbit. Um, uh, Lily, I want to pick up on, um, uh, Lily, uh, Siri said many things are interesting, but one of them is in particular the un unhomely, unhomely-like yeah. quality that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that Freud uh, mentions in The Uncanny. And um, I think maybe one of the reasons that I, I respond as warmly as I do to Doig is that he's an, he seems to be a successor of... Uh, uh, a neglected painter I find of great interest, R.B. Kitai. There are some yeah, many yeah. figures in, actually in his work that do seem deeply and directly Kitai-ish, but, but at a more kind of philosophical or political level, um, Kitai's so obs uh, his, his personal obsessions with the sense of diaspora mm -hmm. and with um, alienation and trying to make an intellectual or spiritual home for yourself somewhere um, in culture, uh, maybe as opposed to um, a place, um, might resonate with an artist who, not only because of his uh, personal kind of globe-trotting um, uh, uh, biography, but uh, as much or more to the point because of the... Uh, the the ruptured sense of both belonging and being in exile of of the Caribbean. Um, do, do you do you think that um, do, do you feel the sense of ghosts in his work? 
Well, I, I feel more a sense of a doubling, you know, in, as, in a way that he, I mean, if you look at the painting, what might purport to be a, 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 a celebratory scene, a joyous scene, it usually always kind of darkens. And, yeah. and I think you're right about the lingering effect is something that is uh, uh, more, more negative, that this is not really paradise. And, uh, <laughs> right, right. you know, and, and, and I think Peter Doig, like, Many that um, many narrators now. I, I, the question is, who gets to tell the story? And no one's really, you know, out of him on this or, or criticize him mm. particularly. But you know, he's he's a white person in Trinidad, and and everybody now you know wants the story told from like another point of view. So I I wonder how you know how much of a I mean, what kind of a you know frame he's making for it? I mean, there's that scene with the was that shown? It must have been shown here, right? The 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 very tall person uh, in in the shorts with the oh yes, uh, that's the Robert Mitchum the Calypso, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, face, right, exactly. Really and his Mitchum eyes, by the way, face. are perfectly clear. They are exactly. But all the studies for him, they're sort of you know blurred, um, goggles. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And just to say that, I think he has said that he wants the viewer to have to strain, you know, yeah. or to yeah. to to not really, you know, see his paintings or have trouble, have difficulty seeing his paintings. But then, you know, just to just to go to, you know, back to his sense of the uncanny. I think there's something very um, disturbing about his paintings that, that are their strengths. Yeah. And it's their questions, you know, and they're ambiguous and they're um, provisional. You know, yeah. I think all the work here that we're looking at is very provisional, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what makes them pretty contemporary, considering if we're looking at things that are not necessarily, you know, anything new, but maybe just right. the ambiance or yeah. the, you know, or the attitude or well, something. Well, he's also after these different senses of touch, and I think that's kind of how he's able to to achieve this sense of the uncanny, mm-hmm. where you know there's impasto up against an area where that is, you know, b- barely there, you know, right, a, right. A, just some zone that has been kind of washed in to indicate a wall or a face. Uh, so, some of them, you know, have a sense of more clarity depending on a figure or a background or an atmosphere. And then, you know, right, right next to that, something is, is totally obscured. So there, there is this uh, sense where I, I can't quite coalesce to, to get to a crisp idea about what this image is and, and really hold on to it in the way that we might in a more traditional representational painting. Right. And, uh, and so it does, it leaves us with this sense of, you know, wanting to fill in the blanks, but, but not really having enough of the language to, to go there. And uh, so you're, you're caught between this fantasy, this dream, and this, this very much other kind of place that he leaves you in in the end. Mm. Mm. It creates a lot of tension, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm, which is, mm-hmm. you know, why the the leaving the gallery and then the days after, mm-hmm. it's been playing inside me, which, uh, you know, is uh, doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, L- Lily hit on a, 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 a quite urgent um, political, political yeah, yeah. question mm-hmm. there, um, perhaps sort of framing Peter Doig's predicament in a sort of Dana Schutz-like way, but um, I, I think we, we should say that it's hard to quite say that he is representing uh, Trinidad. Um, Trinidad, what, yeah. well, let, me, no, let me not make a categorical assertion. Let me pick up on Lily's observation and try to make that into more of a question for the panel. Um, 
in a little promo video I did for this uh, this evening, I provocatively said <laughs> that um, uh, maybe Trinidad is his Tahiti, mm -hmm. um, and um, oh right, yes, yeah. So is uh, but as 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 Lily also pointed out, uh, whatever there seems <laughs> whatever seems um, whatever mm. actually seems a celebration of something. Uh, there's a sting in the tail, it darkens. Um, so um, do, do, we, do we sense any kind of, um, is there any kind of exoticizing in Doig's attitude towards the locale that he's representing? Or is there actually, is he kind of very conscious of that and working through that as a, as a dilemma or as an issue? Any feelings on that front, Siri? Well, I thought the hockey player <laughs> with the two guys there was a sort of interesting juxtaposition, um, and you know, it's an it's a question about narrative. I mean, that that you brought up, which I think is fascinating. So, in some way, I suppose you could call these. I know you don't. This is not what you mean, but you could call them sort of narratives, or you make up some sort of half story or little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but uh, this idea, you know, that a white guy is not, in a way, just because he's white, even though he lives in Trinidad, mm. is uh, precluded from being a representational painter and painting, obviously, people who are around him. Mm -hmm. Well, this right? is what we would think, <laughs> but the conversation now makes that more complicated, you know. So, uh, well, a, I know he, yeah. he and, and Chris Ophelia were yeah. living yes. there, there together. Yeah. And I remember in an interview a few years back, he, he, he made a point to say that he felt that he did have a complicated relationship to Trinidad and didn't yes. want to be perceived necessarily as somebody who, I'm this Westerner, I, I landed here, I'm wealthy, and I'm, I'm painting this exotic landscape. Um, you know, per perhaps a way that he's trying to find his way around the farm might be by trying to create these these dreamlike narratives that don't exactly deal with particular individuals with specific events, uh, and and that it's become this like almost legendary or mythic kind of setting. Uh, right. And perhaps that's his way of trying to. Um, you know, circle around the issue, this, the, mm. the problematics of, of trying to de depict the other. Um, is it effective is, is another question. Yeah. But I think that's exactly right. I think he tries to keep it sort of, um, you know, very open, ambiguous. These narratives are small, yeah. but you can make them up. You can do it. I mean, what, are, what are those lions about? Yes. But that's I, a the lions, yeah. I was, I was going to bring that Narnia? up too. I mean, yeah, no, I'm kidding. And they're quite haunting. Yeah, and they? I found myself very attracted to the yeah. lions. <laughs> and, and wondering, we should, we should what, what are they doing there? And you know, it's in these yeah. kind of architectural spaces yeah. that, that go, I found them mm. really But if we haunting. think back to the earlier, the earlier earth, um, we think that those, yeah. those, the canoe or the the, yeah. the Corbusian housing estate in the in the foliage. Yeah. There's always been a an, an elegiac, distressed, uh, alienated uh, yes. uh, vibe in Peter Doig. But um, what's perhaps new uh, newer in in this body of work is is an is a kind of a quote unquote primitivism in the rough childlike yeah. handling, especially in the works on paper. Yeah. Um, 
and, and but also in in the way some of the figuration is is achieved um, in in the the two trees painting, which has is the one with the three figures, including the hockey player. Yeah. Um, that um, it it could be seen as a kind of expressionism, but it could also be seen as a a childlike, um, scruffy, unfinished um, um, aspect. And um, does does adopting a kind of primitivism when setting uh, a multiracial cast within a, um, um, a Caribbean setting um, raise any, any issues? Well, it might be just a kind of faux uh, naivete, mm-hmm. as opposed, and that also gets him off a certain hook, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to primitivism. Uh, well, okay, Maybe. so fa- let's not call it primitive and let's call it faux naivete. But the issue is that, uh. that it's faux. So, I mean, the naivete is not the natural, uh, he's not naturally um, naive. No. So, you therefore, why, so. what is, the, what is the, the value or the meaning of this adopted naivete in, um, in relation here? I mean, I must say I find the drawings absolutely exquisite and um, compelling, Precisely because of their kind of rough hewness. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, to me, the most poignant image in the entire show was um, of, an, of a depopulated street where you just had a yellow wall yes, and, a, yes. and, a, a, part and a, a road leading up to it. And, and just the, uh, the simplicity of that seemed to actually um, accommodate a whole world view. It had the kind of pregnancy of a de Chirico square or something to it. Or it could be just non-objective if you didn't. It you could know, almost think, be read yeah. abstractly, that's so, true. Right, so, yes. Mm. Uh, it's a very sophisticated naivete, but it's within a, a very much of a modernist sensibility. Um, I, I, I personally, you know, uh, this whole... Uh, uh, I, I know that it's, it's, it's valid and it's earnest and that, that, that um, we're being challenged to think about important issues in a, in a newly self-conscious um, environment. Of, uh, in which issues of gender and race are, are now at the forefront again. But um, we, we would live in such a sad world if we were not able or allowed to try to imagine ourselves outside of ourselves and to yes. represent the world in its entirety, wouldn't we? Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, what is the imagination? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what is it? Mm-hmm. The imagination for me has always been becoming the other in one way or another and that the that of course you know it's what you were saying people have to be be careful you know and there are we all i think have a geography of the imagination and it has its limits i mean i've often said i would not create a fictional character who for example was an engineer from Trinidad, just to think. I know I would have to spend a long time (laughs) studying Mm. to be able to make that character work, right? Okay, that's a literary example, but I think it can be applied Mm. to the arts in general. And you think about uh, folk music appearing in very sophisticated uh, yeah. uh, symphonic uh, pieces, for example, is that a form of looting of of folk music? Mm-hmm. I think few. I don't think a lot of people would make that argument. Um, so you mean these the are snatch, the questions. The snatches of klezmer and a Mahler symphony or something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, isn't it <laughs> parallel in some way? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah. Appropriation sure. of of say a culture that's not yours, if especially if you're the dominant, mm -hmm. you know, the right. super white person. Right. Um, well, I think in the case of Peter Doig, I, something that strikes me is that his paintings are are really not about the individuals that no, populate them. No, I don't them. think so. <clears throat> no. He's trying to almost get to a form of magical realism. Yeah. And the, yeah, the figures just are, are, are stand-in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're I not agree. quite metaphysical, but, but there's definitely like, I want you to kind of, you know, this is like some gate to something else, right? Some other kind yes. of experience. And if, if one wants to go there, they can go there. But if we were to see them as about specificity, I, th I think we would lose what the paintings were supposed to be I agree. about entirely. I agree. Right. So, I agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't think anyone has talked about you know specificity. Yeah. Can I yeah. say that yeah. here? Right. Yeah. Well, I think we so. touched on a, a number of issues there that that um, the audience must be bursting to join in. <laughs> but we are nonetheless going to go back to a point that should be made about yes, Kate Shepard. So yes. do, do wait for the mic. You've waited this long, so wait a moment longer. Do we have our Do we have our roving mic um, this evening? Cool. Uh, the lady here. Yes, he's got something to share with us on, on, on Kate Shepard. Thank you. When I saw the um, photos of the exhibition, I could only think about gentrification. Mm. Ah. Because that's what's happening. You know, you have a beautiful building. The next day, you have these construction walls in front of it. And then the next day, there's a new high-rise condo there. And then, then the same thing happens across the street. Yeah. So what's happening to our city? And you see these blue things. It, I get afraid when I see that. For me, <laughs> it's like I, it's panic. I associate yeah. the total gentrification <laughs> of New York. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. what you meant. But and yes. <laughs> Give us back our slum. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well. well that's, that's a very interesting yeah, connection uh, Doig yeah. and, 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 and Shepard in a way that we might not have anticipated. I can see some hands in the middle there. Um, uh, <laughs> your voice is wonderful, it carries, but do wait for the mic because we are recording it. She's right over uh, there. There she is. We are recording and um, we need you, you, you for prosperity. Posterity. And prosperity, and I prosperity. guess. Prosperity comes from the posterity, but... Because of gentrification. Yeah. Well, my question, because I wasn't able to see the full exhibit, but with the shepherd piece... The what, about, what happened to this carrying voice? Well, sorry, <laughs> I don't want to be so loud. Use, use the mic, please. Um, is that you mentioned if construction workers are themselves thinking about the aesthetics, and I was thinking, well, if she considers herself a painter, who helped her install that work? Was it construction workers? And has that become part of the piece? And when those piece comes down, who is the person taking down this fake scaffolding as a construction worker? Or is it her herself? And is that something that she meditates on by thinking about this is a construction site, I'm an artist, but I'm still hiring construction people to put out my vision? And when you were mentioning about the aesthetics and if they themselves think of these things, I was thinking, well, how about the people that she hires to help her create this work itself? Did she actually install it or did she hire people? And then it goes on to the conversation of whether it's about gentrification or anything like that. But it was just a thought that came to my mind when you talked about a construction site itself you know? and who actually yeah. helped her install the pieces. I think she built it she, herself. It, she's, I think she's, she's a real hands-on yeah. craft. Yeah. Woman. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And yeah. she may have an assistant to help her, you know, with sheetrock and things. But uh, 
I, I think she, that if, they, if she does, I'm sure, knowing Kate, they're all unionized and um, <laughs> get, getting a top rate. Um, and said. But, but it's, that's an interesting, uh, spin, a, a very yeah. interesting spin, because it, uh, but it's, it's also part and parcel of, uh, I mean, your, your take is uh, the, the sharp political angle that you're bringing to, to your question, and your, um, is of a piece with the kind of issues that Lily felt anxious that might be uh, relating to Peter Doig with the representing of, of the other. I, I wonder if in our strivings for um, caring about tangent, uh, the related um, issues of exploitation or, or colonialization or whatever, we might sometimes be missing the the wood for the trees. Um, I mean, it's 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 a, it's clever to have these ways into subjects, but for me, it's only really productive if if it folds into a, a meaning in the work rather than just something to beat up any artist who's showing or doing anything. Well, I mean, it, it, this could be kind of a whole conversation unto itself, but I think. <laughs> When it becomes about specific individuals, specific events in time, um, and kind of you know becomes about history painting or, or mm. representation or, or the nature of depiction, it, it then engages with I think reality proper. You know, it kind of like breaks it breaks the wall. You know, mm. oftentimes I feel personally that art is this thing that's trying to talk about the world from a slight kind of removal, right? It's kind of it's right, pointing right, to things in, right. in the world, but it's kind of it's of its own making, right? It's right. got its own artifice that has created it. Um, but then when it tries to engage with that reality by breaking the wall and saying, okay, I'm going to actually now Represent you know, represent yes. specific things in yeah, the world, right. uh, specific people, mm -hmm. uh, situations. It then kind of you know it, it makes this merger with reality and kind of tries to kind of deal with it head on. And I think then it becomes an issue where we can we can really delve into you know you know what's what's an appropriate way of, of engaging with you know this that or the other. Mm. Mm. But shouldn't it engage or not? What do you think? I, I, I mean, I think it. I think it's open ended. I mean, I, I personally can't say that I'm often, you know, chomping at the bit to see people who are trying to engage head on. I think. I'm someone who comes often to art as a respite from the world, not as a way to deal with the world directly. Um, but I also see the value in directly engaging the world. I, I, I question when artists, be them painters, sculptors, etc., feel as though that their intervention in the world has the capacity to um, to, to lead <laughs> to change to, it. Oh <laughs> gosh, yeah, they'll change perhaps in the way right, that, right. that maybe direct action in the world well, might. So. Well, I, it's I mean, like, you know, yes. well, it's yeah. Ajit Prop, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, generally heavily ideological work just for me because it has uh, the quality of a slogan uh, is, is often not so interesting because what I like, I mean, as I was saying about the Peter Doig, is that it bears, it not only bears scrutiny, it then continues to bear you know, scrutiny of the mental image that you've taken with you. And, um, and that is what, you know, my favorite art is art I don't fully understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's right. something that has a, something superfluous mm -hmm. that then I want to chase. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that, um, 
kind of overtly political work that's just like a sign mm -hmm. um, is usually not so interesting to me, which isn't to say that I can't be wrong about things and that there are more greater complexities that I'm not getting. Right. Well, well you're yeah. looking for, for more questions than answers, it sounds. Yes, and, yes and that's, that's right. And that's me too. I, I, I'm not going there to be, I'm not going into a gallery or museum in order to be instructed about how to think or feel. Right. Well, the curators usually make sure that the, you get a good dose of that and the <laughs> exhaustive labels that they write. For Sometimes it's just yes. tremendous. So, um, uh, <laughs> A couple of good, uh, very good points there on, on, on Kate Shepard that bring us into uh, Peter Doig. Um, any any f thoughts and feelings on Peter Doig's show that the audience would like to share with us? Yes, I can see it bang in the middle of the room, I'm afraid. So you have to wait one moment while somebody passes you the mic. Yeah. Oh, you can go to the mic. Yeah, Mohammed in the Mountain. Good. Thank you. Hi. Um, so it's not on Peter Doig. It's still on Kate Shepard. I okay. hope that's okay. Oh, <laughs> um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, um, David, are you the one who took the photos of what we saw projected? Uh, no, uh, Kate took them herself, actually. Okay, very interesting, because <clears throat> by looking at her work through photographs as opposed to being in the gallery, I had a very different feel for the whole thing. And to me, they look like paintings. They look like mm. minimal, reductive paintings. You mean in the photos? In the photos. Yeah. The way yeah. she cropped them, the yeah. way mm -hmm. they're Sorry, taken. Sorry, just a point of clarification. Does the entire installation look that way? Or does, so hold or on do the a second. Are the photographs themselves The photographs that, themselves, right. the each detail mm. of right. the room, look to me like a reductive, minimal painting, very close to what she does in her paintings. Right. When mm. I was in the gallery itself, I didn't get that feeling, but now I'm thinking that it's almost a show that's supposed to make you feel like you're inside of a living painting. Oh. And what's interesting is that leaving the show, I mean, I still am very, when I see construction sites in New York, I'm always fascinated by the colors or the little plastic details yeah. of the, the fences or whatever. But I think she makes, maybe, hopefully, the show will make people feel that what you were saying before about art and reality, maybe there is something much more blended that you could feel leaving the gallery that maybe paintings are not the graffiti on the construction, but just the, the construction sites themselves. But I really felt like I was inside of a large painting mm -hmm. in the space. Right, mm -hmm. thank you very much. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more comment. If there's somebody, uh, it doesn't have to be a question. The comment is, is good in and of itself. Any, any last takers in the Perhaps somebody on Peter Doig? Yes. If you could wait for the mic, though, that'd be great. Thanks. Um, I haven't been going to galleries recently very much. Um, and it's funny, if I, and, and I am a, an artist, but if I were to see probably either show, I would not get, probably not get nearly as much as all of you have gotten out of it. And that's all, you know, <laughs> and it really strikes me that it's very, I like hearing how much um, you have, you see in these things, you know. I would probably, I, I do want to see the shows if they're still up. The, um, the doig is still up. 
Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, while. but yeah. I would, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would well, we, feel differently. I did like some of this, you know. But I, it, that's all I wanted to say. Um, Please, everyone should say that yeah, as often yeah. as possible. <laughs> thank you very much. Makes us all feel good about ourselves. I, mean, I used to go to galleries a lot. No, thank you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That's fantastic. Okay, I think we're ready for part two um, for our our second little movie. For the second half of our program, we're looking at exhibitions by two artists at different stages of their careers who. It could be said, both explore, in tandem, related aspects of landscape and abstraction. Who privileges which will likely inform our discussion. John Zuria, who is based in San Francisco, has spent time over recent years in Iceland. This reflects in some title choices, if not indeed the spare, cool atmospherics of his paintings. His show, titled Stars Without Distance, inaugurates Peter Bloom's new space on Grand Street. Roberta Smith, in a short review of the present exhibition in the New York Times, writes that Zuria's near monochromes are, quote, acts of full disclosure. You see every decision, gesture, and mark that went into their making. That is true of many foundational post-war painters, especially Jackson Pollock and Robert Ryman. But Mr. Zuria's process is more intuitive and personal. No detail of a painting determines any other. You absorb each oddity by oddity, fitting them into the whole and into the experience of really looking. Dana James titles her show at The Lodge, the speakeasy come art gallery on Christie Street, Sometime Seen Dreams. Fellow artist Paul D'Agostino writes poetically about her work in an accompanying catalogue. Quote, In her most recent suite of mixed-media paintings, Dana James employs alluringly deliquescent strata of oils, inks, dyes, encaustic and pigments in the creation of landscapes, seascapes, skyscapes and spacescapes that whisk you away into the turbid beyonds of ambiguously horizoned, chromatically enchanted elsewheres. Both these shows closed this weekend. Great. Two, two somewhat um, different temperatures in these two shows, but both romantic sensibilities, perhaps, yeah. in relation to uh, experienced landscape. And it, it seems, um, it's an interesting point that uh, landscape, of course, the, the pioneers of abstraction were often, well, the, the abex painters, often um, Gerard Manley Hopkins' notion of the inscape was evoked in relation to uh, the implicit kind of landscapey or soulscapey feelings of uh, uh, induced by Rothko or Newman. Um, but abstraction generally took a much more urban, political, and analytical and, and materialistic uh, turn uh, from uh, the minimal artists onwards. Does it feel like a resurgence of uh, a romantic sense of landscape? Um, does it feel like um, um, a stepping away from some of the purpose of abstraction, Jason, or do you do do we is that has that become 
Has that way of thinking been so exhausted and that the proof of it is in the way in which um, two abstract painters, one seemingly more minimal than the other, mm -hmm. um, are, are um, relaxed about bringing in distant stars and uh, dreams <laughs> and so on and so forth? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, in the case of uh, Zurier, I thought you know, that those were, were pure, pure abstractions in that he was really trying to deal with the materiality of the paint and the surface mm -hmm. and the sense of touch. And uh, that while there was in the title this relationship to stars, I didn't see them as being referential paintings in any sort of no. way. No, um, I, I thought they were very open in that respect. Whereas I did see Dana James, who I know personally, uh, as a painter who was, was a little bit more tied to trying to reference a, a seascape, uh, a landscape, yeah, yeah. and that there, was a, that there was a kind of you know, sp intention on her part to try to kind of elicit that, evoke that on the mm -hmm. part of the viewer. Um, and even in her act of pouring paint, I thought that was significant in relationship to them being seen as some sort of seascape and that the paint saturates the surface and kind of rests on top pools. Yeah. And then she would kind of make pools, you know, on the yeah. lower half of the canvas yeah. to kind of indicate, you know, here is where the sea starts and the horizon begins. Uh, so I thought that those were a little bit more literal. Um, mm. Still abstract, but definitely closer to a... a a representational nature uh, than Zurier's paintings. And hence the title, in a way, sure. Stars Without Distance. Right. So it's not about stars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Well, they, they bear, I mean, I found that they, they really um, hold up to scrutiny, um, the Zurier, that you, you know, you go in there and you see like, oh, it's pink and it's, green you know oh there's a stri couple stripes but I found you know really standing in front of them each one and letting it happen um, that uh, I became a very active viewer <laughs> and I started to think about just the idea of, of the edge and went around and looked and then of course realized that on some of the paintings he had a stripe going down the, the side mm -hmm. um, or he had taken the paint over an edge in one on one side but not on the other um, that of course these the layers of colorings begin to move uh, in the light of the gallery, so there's a kind of, at least maybe this is my neurology, yes. but there's a kind of shuddering mm -hmm. that begins to happen. Um, so <laughs> rather than feeling disappointed by that, by the kind of, oh, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. here's a whole nother a suite of super minimalist <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> paintings, you know, like, oh, the pig, that, that I, I got a real pleasure out of them as I stood and, and, and looked. Well, mm -hmm. I thought they were some of the best paintings of his I'd ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I liked I've, it. I mean, I thought they were perfectly proportioned for what they were. I mean, their yeah. effect, their yeah. effect. Um, I think it was about, not so much about paint, but how paint could be 
dematerialized to the point where it was almost just um, atmosphere, mm -hmm. another element. Uh, I like the way they sat or didn't sit on the surface. Yeah. Uh, they seemed to really hover off um, and without a lot of tricks. I mean, it just, yeah. he put it, a line he, in those lines, I think, kind of placed the viewer vis-a-vis -vis the painting. They also reminded you they were painting because while they might have been describing place, they were also, I think, just marking you know your position. Yeah, yeah that's a good. And um, and also just it's like the slippage. At one point, you might begin to think of skies or you know something uh, much more sublime, and then you you come right back and it's you see the edge, you see the canvas, you see you know you see a you see a painting. So um, yeah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it. Seems to be the more f fleshy paintings from Zariah than I that yes, I think yes, I've yes. ever had. Right. I, his last show at Blum, I remember feeling well, I appreciated them. I thought they were, you know, they resonated in this very poetic manner that they were so light that some of them almost right. know, felt disappeared. like they, were, they disappeared. Yeah. In yeah. That space. Yeah. Felt like were just yeah. being breathed onto the canvas. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> These were breath too, but the colors were fantastic, yeah. right? I, mean, I thought there was a lot of very, sumptuous yes, scumbling in there was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in play here. And, and that um, I, I, I like Lily's way of, of really giving that sense of um, Thank you. <laughs> having your cake and eating it, of sort of um, yeah. that it's that they are, are paintings with a, a sense of uh, possibilities of reference that always yank you back. It uh, reminds me of, uh, makes me think perhaps of um, uh, Ulysses being tied to the mask and being a mast and being able to <laughs> listen to the sirens, but with never actually uh, escaping. Go to them. Go to them, exactly. That, uh, uh, that there is that restraint involved. Um, yeah. They are, they are, however, very tasteful paintings. It must be, um, I, <laughs> not that that's a crime, but they um, are, they are e very, uh, they're, not, they're not merely easy to like, but they're difficult to not like in a funny way, that they are... Um, difficult pleasures. Yes. Yeah. Well, not such difficult. Rob Storr said that. Difficult he pleasures. He called them difficult pleasures. Okay. Uh, I love Rob Storr, and I love that phrase, and I could apply it to 100 artists. Yes. <laughs> He's artist number 101. They're just a, they're just a pleasure, really. I, um, yeah. Maybe, maybe I've corrupted myself with too much minimal art and um, don't see the difficulty. <laughs> in, um, no, I, I agree. I don't... I, don't actually find the paintings really difficult. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's not that I'm and I, and, yes, and weirdly yeah. enough also um, not cerebral mm -hmm. to use that word. <laughs> right. You know, it's not that you're pushed into as you can be. I think in some forms of minimalism, into asking yourself a host of well, difficult questions about what it means that it's there, uh, you know, uh, blah, 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 uh, putting it into some wider context. No, this was, these are really pleasurable and they, they shiver. And I like that Lily said, um, uh, at the atmospheric yeah. aspect, because it does sometimes feel like the fog or whatever is coming out at you, which is one of the pleasures. Perhaps it's a little bit of the Bay Area in Iceland. Um, for, yes, for, for well, Syria. yes. 
I but it's I think that's crystalline. But I think that's, actually, it's pretty crystalline. Crystal, yeah, crystalline. crystalline, crystalline. You know, atmosphere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So um, it depends on the time. I of guess. Year. Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> right. You're right. An Iceland um, person. But I still think of it as crystalline. It's what I take away. <laughs> Which one? Iceland. Iceland. Crystalline. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. But the yeah. fog. I thought he was bringing fog, with him from okay. San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but but um, the, the the ease I think is significant. And and Lily um, touched on this that that so much minimal art is epistemological rather than aesthetic. Yes. It's about uh, uh, what can we do or not do and, and what is this here and why was this decision taken and etc. And it, it's a very um, kind of heady, cerebral experience to even, even, uh, even in the, the later paintings of Robert Ryman that get a little bit romantic and landscapey. Right. Uh, there's always right. enough uh, kind of heft to bring us back to mm. the uh, kind of meaty questions that make yes, academics so excited about minimal art. But I, I think that actually um, this is why I, I, I found the, the pairing of um, Zuria and, and the young, much younger artist Dana James kind mm. of instructive because yeah. they're both, um, they both occupy uh, um, or they both um, help themselves to the available lexicon of uh, devices and strategies from different moments in the history of abstraction, but without the, um, you might say the hang-ups, or you might say the, the intellectual energy that um, motivated those, the pioneers of abstraction. So uh, is, it now, is it no longer possible, uh, really, for an abstract painter to, to ask those sorts of fundamental questions? Um, it, that's a good question. That's, that's, that's the... Wow. The nervous. I mean, it's a it's a big question that won't necessarily be resolved in relation to these these it's two huge. individuals. But um, um, with with Zuria, it seems all the more instructive because um, he he is he is a painter who um, perhaps because monochrome and reductive art are so much more recent than. Mm, the, 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 the kind of sources that Dana James is evoking yes, in her painting, yes. it makes one think it ought to have some of that, um, more of that intellectual energy. Who are his peers? That's, an, that's a question I would ask. Because if, we, if, we are, if, I, if you accept this distinction I'm making between him and capital M minimal art, um, <laughs> it strikes me that his real peers are more likely to be more representational artists than more abstract artists, by which I'm, I'm in particular thinking um, of uh, Robert Bordeaux. I'd like, I'd, I could happily see one of his paintings next to a Robert Bordeaux painting, um, a, a, a representational painter whose work veers towards abstraction, but um, um, more what, what I'm teasing at here is, where does he belong intellectually? In a minor key? I mean, the sense that he's not symphonic. I mean, you know, he, you can, and I don't mean that as a negative. I no, just mean no. that, you know, you, you a major key or a minor key. And I think right. he plays, someone like Mark Toby plays in a minor key, don't you think? I mean, something mm. like that. Um, maybe some of Diebenkorn, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, is not such. I think that's a, you know, that's a, a friendly neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Uh, right. I think that the late work. Yes, yeah. the Ocean Park. 
Yeah. Well, well, I think in your question is this this larger question of of what's at stake in abstraction, particularly in this mm. case, re reductive abstraction, and um, and that seems like. Uh, Bait. <laughs> yes. Bait. Yes, in a but way. Also, yes, yes. But also, uh, you know, it's it's curious. I, it, it perhaps brings up this larger question of if, of what the stakes are in abstraction, as a result, and um, and that's that's a sordid question. I find myself and and peers among many others, mm. uh, to to find that it, it seems to be a very disparate conversation in which there are. Uh, not not necessarily long-term struggles for and against, perhaps in the same way that there may have existed uh, even 20 years ago, but uh, but that there's a sense that there's um, that you that you can make choices simply based on one's intuition, and 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 in this case, I think maybe choices based on taste. I mean, you you mentioned taste, which is you know, oddly enough seems to be. To have that be the crux of why one is making their work for the sense of, of pleasure is is a rather European <laughs> idea uh, and not really so much an American one. Uh, the question becomes, you know, where is the rigor? Where is the, um, you know, wh what is this trying to fight up against? You know, uh, I, if I walk away and I'm I feel good about myself in the world. Well, <laughs> not the enough. It's not so easy to do today. <laughs> <It's not, laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I see them kind of within that tradition, but it's also I think why some of that kind of sensibility is also derided by an American sensibility. It's it's seen as um, a little superfluous to to kind of revel in one's sense of pleasure or you know. God, dare I say the word beauty? You know that yes. these, these no nos. Right? You, you talk with the, the Puritan, so so called Puritanism yeah, yeah. of American yeah. um, philosophies, but I don't know. I mean, I think they, Americans take a certain amount of pleasure <laughs> in things. I think they can um, do that. Americans mm. can either go for the the the, the Puritan or uh, extreme hedonism, but uh, there's sometimes a middle way that can be achieved as well. Um, it seems actually that, the, that uh, talking of Puritanism, that, that there was a much more Zen sensibility in earlier work of, of Zuria. Yes, um, yes. And that, that uh, actually perhaps there's, there's a greater um, earthiness, despite his reaching for the stars, there's an earthiness in the, the degree of kind of scumble and the effects of light that, um, that, that, that they seem quite phenomenological. Yes, I think so. And sensual. Sensual, yeah. yes, yeah. very much that's, so. Yeah. That's, I yeah. think. Well, the senses certainly are taken for a ride in the work of Dana James. <laughs> yes. We could now switch to our final um, loop, um, please. Um, so a young painter, uh, she's, uh, her work has been seen at uh, uh, Schweitzer and uh, David and Schweitzer Gallery and, 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 um, and else, and before that, I think Life at Ma on Mars in uh, Bushwick, and uh, th th that gallery kind of partners these days um, quite a lot with this with the the lodge um, in my neighbourhood on the Lower East Side. Um, uh, Siri, can I can I ask yeah, you, to, you to lead us on on Dana James? Well, the, I mean, if you haven't seen the show, the photographs are are probably a little bit misleading because of course they flatten them out and some of these paintings mm -hmm. have um, are lumpy at the bottom and that gives you this they're kind of sexy in that way that there's something uh, lumpy and the light 
I found when I was in the gallery and I was alone um, had a real kind of internal radiance hmm. that sh that she seems to get you know like certain uh, much older uh, classical uh, landscape hey. painters where you feel the light is shining out of the woods or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, technically, I think that was really impressive. And, um, and they're really, they're beautiful. Mm. You know, they're really, really pretty paintings. Yes. <laughs> and you don't go for Wittgenstein's <laughs> notion derived from Gauguin that nothing that's pretty can be beautiful. Um, well, I, I mean, I was engaged with them. Yes. And um, at the same time, I don't know. It's that, I think it's the, the question that was brought up earlier about you know the pretty, the uh, uh, the easy, the, the yeah. I mean they really are lovely, and she's obviously really skilled. I mean yes. I felt that looking at the pictures, um, they didn't haunt me. You know it wasn't Peter Doig. I haven't been walking around thinking, oh, what was that? You know, mm -hmm. in the same way, it didn't have that lasting power. These are this is of course a highly subjective response. Mm -hmm. Um, could could one see them more in apocalyptic terms? They do have quite violent. You know, there was this one painting that was called Hollywood. Yes, and it kind of threw off that whole sense of the apocalypse. I just, you know, I'm thinking. So, does that mean that this is just a you know a, a, a more cerebral take on the apocalypse, and it's actually just a wrap? You know, in terms of a <laughs> of a Photoshop scene from the, right. I don't know what is it some disaster Armageddon movie. You know? Yes, exactly. No, I just thought it was curious. Yeah, some a, of her titles, right? Yeah, because you have yeah. sort of you know again something that looks like a kind of poured, very I think spontaneously generated vision of the apocalypse in but in pinks and. Blues, yes, you know? yes. <laughs> and, yes, which is, I guess, the Hollywood reference, and then, perhaps. And then there's a thing, you know, called Hollywood. So mm -hmm. you said you know. What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, I, I can't say that I know this this most recent work yeah. in order to have, you know, got, gotten her thoughts on it ahead of time. But I do think that she, I noticed the same sensibility that the two yeah. of you were mentioning, where it yeah. seems as though she's, it, they're both very pretty and and more beautiful, I should say. And, and also there's a, a somewhat ominous undercurrent to the yeah. work, uh, perhaps in the way that she is c creating these starker landscapes that they they have a, an evocative quality that that seems in 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 line with uh, you know the, the way that I you know we might see like a Whistler painting kind of mm. breaking down yes. in these kinds of like close value ranges where they're both you know there's there's an ecstatic and sublime quality and then something terrible you know or, or kind of yes. tragic involved there um, I, and I think that's that seems to be like a subtext to to what it is she's trying to work with. Well, there's also that little figure in that one, in one of those. Oh. What was you know just just like little that also was like a wink. I thought you know I mean I'm not sure, but I didn't know what to make of it <laughs> in 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 all of that certain you know grandeur. Yeah. So, um, I lost the figure. I didn't notice it. Well, I, uh, it looked like a figure uh -huh. to me, like yeah. a little sketch of a figure. Uh -huh. Did you yeah. look in the drawing book? 
the wonderful lawn yeah, yeah, chairs. I, I thought yeah. those lawn chairs are wonderful. And I know that she's used these um, pedestrian objects, you know, in, in other work. Mm -hmm. And this is a, I mean, I think the word romantic really does apply yeah. here. Yes. And uh, that, and you think I. Not if you call it Hollywood. I'm oh, there's plenty of romance in Hollywood. Maybe it's the. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I think so. It's in its actually. manufactured romance, but um, yeah, but, but yeah. well manufactured. I mean, these are these are skillfully put together paintings that that, that evoke a, a romantic sublime. And yes, they, I they, think they do. But they have more of. I, I think Hollywood is very apropos because um, I think they're they're ultimately more like um, John Martin, the great Victorian painter of apocalypse scenes, than than they are. Like Turner, um, I don't think that they. I think that's that that's a good uh, distinction. Yeah, I, I, I think she's she's incredibly skillful in yeah. in her pores and her stains, and I think she's also very uh, um, preternaturally uh, sort of erudite for an artist uh, of her age in in really um, thinking through uh, the later work of Olitsky or Frankenthaler and and other exemplars and. Interestingly, uh, those painters who were kind of n slightly knocked sideways by minimal art and actually kind of retreated, despite their being post-painterly, into, uh, into a kind of um, romantic landscape in their own later uh, output. And that, that I think, um, uh, but with, 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 with um, James more than with Zuria, um, I, I really feel that, that there's... Um, a whole lexicon being pulled from to to confect or to construct um, uh, romantic effects, mm. right. and and uh, whereas with Zuria, I think that that Zen Bay Area Puritanism comes across <laughs> in that um, he wouldn't permit himself that perhaps in um, his relationship to paint, right, and 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 the experience of seeing and and being in a place. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just I thought it was a kind of nice playfulness on her part. It also made it a younger painter's work, you know. Mm -hmm. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say. I mean, I think uh, romance and, pa and paintings, mm. or the romantic and paintings, it it's it's a complicated territory. I've often felt this way actually about some of Peter Doig's earlier work. I liked mm -hmm. this recent show, yeah. mm -hmm. but I've often felt that there, you know, he's really trying to seduce me with the image that this it's right. you know, that's got beautiful color and there's a real um, you know, there, it's speaking within this language of other dreamy romantic images images that I've received be them from from movies or uh, from TV, from other paintings, and um, being seduced is is a very kind of um, it's a compelling thing to have a painting do for you. Yes, it bypasses questions, uh, perhaps deeper questions beyond that taste, uh, that that kind of one-dimensional kind of read. And in some cases, I've felt as though Doeg can have that one-dimensional read, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm already sucked in, and so now my criticism, my, my critical faculties have kind of been disabled, <laughs> and, and I'm just enjoying the thing purely on mm. these terms, on the terms that he set up, the conditions that he set up. And I, I think that, I mean, the, James is doing that less so. I mean, it's less explicit, perhaps a little less on the nose about that uh, manufacture but um, but there's still a similar affect mm. in parts. Yes. Well, and a feeling of, you know, the, the passionate, you know, if you think what is the, 
place. I mean, certainly that's part of the romantic idea, mm. and um, and you feel that there's a uh, a passionate impulse that is, as you say, seductive. And I definitely felt that, uh, you know, in the gallery, which is not that big, but they certainly yes. yeah. they they mm-hmm. certainly take the space. Mm-hmm. I don't think what we would ever get in. Um, Dana James that we do get in Peter Doig is is a romantic irony. <laughs> they are not ironic, no. e- even though despite Hollywood, I, I mean because and one of the things I thought and maybe yeah. this is a very literary comment, but that she could she could start thinking about the titles. Yes, <laughs> I I thought I thought she could. Yes, she could rethink some <laughs> titling. She's not the only. She's not the only artist. Okay. okay, Dana, if you're out there listening, untitled, the way to go. That's the well, the not, stairway not to heaven. Necessarily, Absolutely. Maybe yeah. <laughs> crawling around some poetry or something. One thing that listening to Jason made me realize is that, um, uh, and it and it picks up on Holly's comment about um, uh, Kate. Uh, taking her own photographs of her own installation is, is, is how much the entire uh, structure of this evening's conversation would be, how much the content of this evening would be so different if when I took the decision basically this morning of pairing up, if I put John Zuria and Kate Shepard together and then Peter Doig and yes, Dana James, that's right. we, we would have had an entirely different conversation, equally valid, equally insightful, mm-hmm. I believe, entirely different conversation mm-hmm. about this art in relation to just just those those pairings, which would have made just as much sense. And that, yes, I think, is, does sign to the, the strength of art and the... Um, uh, gullibility of criticism, perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, let's get some uh, response from you guys on um, on on John Zuria and uh, Dana James. Um, just out of curiosity, by the way, I would just uh, oh, I, yeah, maybe. you won't be uh, the the NRA are not listening in on this. How many of you guys? How many how many saw uh, two or more of the shows that we're actually discussing uh, this Quite evening? Well, that's pretty. Pretty encouraging. I'm, I'm glad we did our homework. Yes, fantastic. Uh, so Holly again. Thank you. It um, concerns the John Zurier show. Hmm. Um, when you were asking the question about who his peers would be, when I saw the show, I was immediately struck by two artists that I could completely relate to his work. One is the Italian artist Giorgio Griffa, who shows at Casey Kaplan. Um, Say the name again. Giorgio, Giorgio Griffa. 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 Who, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he takes raw canvas that he opens up, and the grid of the folds are the folds of the canvas are the grid itself, and then he puts very thin marks of very sort of almost like watercolor paint. And it's very sensitive. It's very. Perc- it's about perception. So he reminded me a lot of John's work. And the other one is Raoul de Kaiser. Oh, right. oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's. That's a good call. Yeah. Actually, when I, when I mentioned Bobby Bordeaux, I mean Bordeaux is deeply indebted to de Kaiser, so that yeah, right. totally makes sense. He was like very good. Let's do a three-person show of de Kaiser, Bordeaux, and Zuria, and Griffa. <laughs> and, 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 and Italian artist. Griffa, yes, Griffa, yes. 
I have a question. Do you think that the time has come for the synthesis of abstraction and representation since we had hundreds of years of representational art then they threw the object out and they had only abstract art and now we've gotten to the point as Hegel would say uh, a thesis and a thesis uh, where we need the synthesis of abstraction and representation would you th agree with that? Um, a light, quick question for the panel, though. <laughs> Are we ready for a Hegelian synthesis? Well, I, I think it's been happening. I think it's been happening for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I think yes. there's there's a yeah. lot right there's a, there's a lot of art that combines what you would think of as forms of representation and and abstraction, hmm. and I think maybe what you're you're getting at is is something that's that is really true, uh, which is that opposed to an er, uh, earlier moment in the 20th century that art has become uh, adopted a form of pluralism mm -hmm. which we mm -hmm. see in these shows you know this yes. is really we have come a long way from the clement greenberg uh, uh, kind of dictatorial ideas about what art is supposed to be, uh, right? Yeah, no, yes. I was going to say to, to that effect, I think the, what, when that, when these conditions have come together where we we're seeing the so much work that's you know, quasi-abstract or quasi-representational, it almost seems to have the effect in some cases of becoming sculpture. I see it in the, you know, uh, Laura Owens has this recent uh, mm. exhibition that just opened up. I mean, there's just a, a slew of people who have been after that. It, Jonathan Lasker, you know, trying to create sculptural yes. form and paint, Mary Heilman separating yes. canvases that become, or, or Elizabeth Murray, who also has that. a show, where it, it takes on a sculptural affect in that there's a representational content that's finding its way through some abstracted form. And here, you know, here's these two poles meeting together, which I think is an interesting time for both of those lineages to... Mm. to to have come to. Uh, and, but it's interesting, isn't it, how somebody like James Hyde, who would really fit into that mold as well, is um, like Kate Shepard, so insistent that even when his works are three-dimensional in a, a plexi box and the paint is almost looks like it's coming out to eat us, that, that, it's, that it's, it's painting, mm -hmm. that he is a painter. Mm -hmm. Even when he's taking photographs, he's a painter. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but to the, to the point of the synthesis, um, yeah, I, I think that pluralism is a great blessing, but once it's, uh, it does take the fuel out of the engine of, uh, of, of abstraction. If, yes. if the intention, if, the, if the, the driving force, so to speak, is towards uh, reduction, towards various um, questions about the very structure and nature and, uh, uh, and also the, 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 the the purpose, the plausibility of certain ways of doing things. I mean, once once everything is back on the table and 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 open again, then um, it makes it takes away, it pulls the rug from underneath any kind of abstraction versus representation. Well, but but why should that be, though? Why should there be abstraction versus? Well, I don't see any value to it myself. I mean, <laughs> because in fact. Uh, w where we're at now, thanks, yeah. but we, abstraction needed to believe that it had something to achieve in order to have achieved it, but having achieved it, it that um, 
you know, it's, it has added this component that educates our taste to the extent that um, we now see the abstract in all representational painting and, the, yes. Yes. and we can see the possibility of representation in any form of abstraction. Yeah, yeah. or you think about someone uh, like Richter who hmm. keeps going back and forth. I mean, he's, ah, he's he keeps been around the dichotomy for a alive, long time. Though, doesn't he? He, he, he kind of synthetically keeps the uh, uh, dichotomy alive. I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, in his work, you see it, uh, uh, you know, you see, and I, he made the comment and it might be like the person mm -hmm. that you were talking about in Dana James, mm -hmm. that, uh -huh. you know, that you, wasn't it? Mm. Oh, the little gremlin. The little oh, person. Yeah, whatever. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. little, yeah. the little figure mm. that you know. Richter said that everyone is always finding uh, representations in in, in mm. abstractions. You know, it's like looking at the floor. Everyone's yes. seeing faces in the lino mm. linoleum. You know, it's part yes. of what we do, um, uh, and we project, I mean, part well, Leonardo of perception. noticed that about abstraction, about landscape, right from the beginning. Yeah. He said that, you know, you can just, Botticelli had attacked landscape painting, he claimed, because he said, oh, you could just fling uh, some <laughs> ink or, or on the paper and you'd immediately have a landscape. Yeah. And Leonardo says, well, that's the, that's the beauty and the genius of it, that um, that, that's, that, that was... It's a justification for chance effect, um, but um, um, in a way, it's interesting that you mentioned Richter. I think that, that that's what I would give as my answer to you is that uh, is that um, in fact conceptual art um, turned abstraction and representation into bosom pals. That I, I think of abstraction and representation as being like. Um, if you think of uh, representation as being like supporters of the czar and, um, and, and abstraction as being the Menshevik revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are people who are completely opposed to each other. But when the Bolsheviks took over in Russia, the Mensheviks and the czarists found themselves in Paris <laughs> as exiles. That's right. And then they forgot that the, this one's a Tsarist and that one's a Menshevik. They just became Russians in exile from Bolshevism and they, they got on very well together. I think that's kind of where abstraction and representation are. That's great. Well, it was like after okay. abstraction. I yes. mean, then, you know, abstraction kind of went into exile and it came back in painting. In, and then when yes. it came back, it came back as figuration. And right. so now they can all, as you, well, I don't know. What, yes. How did you end that? They can all be together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, as energized by the great questions from our audience, <laughs> yes. I think um, I think our discussion has reached the point where alcohol would help. Um, yes, and so, um, <laughs> trusting that they're ready for us, um, let's make our way across uh, Eastern Parkway. Do be back with us in December when we have a wonderful panel with Christian Viveros Fone. Um, uh, why did I even mention this without actually remembering who the speakers are? <laughs> it's on your cards. Uh, ruin the Somebody ruin the podcast now. But I would mention there will be a podcast. If you wanted to savor anything that's been said this evening, or comfort those who were not able to make it this evening, let them know about the podcast at artcritical.com. And please, memory, memory speak. That's very apropos of Paris and the Bolsheviks, but. Anyone know? Anyone got the card? Can, just <laughs> so that I can put on record who's going to be my guests in December. Well, we just got enough phone <coughs> and look. Uh, yes, on. just read out the names, will you? 
Can you Holly read is our, the our six wheels. Them? Yes, it says December. So December is going to be Jonathan Cole, yes. Thank you. Jonathan Carb, oh. Leila Pedro, and Christian Viveros Fonet will be my guests on December the. <laughs> December the 12th. There you go. Which is a Tuesday. We See did you it. over the road. See you in December. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.